Ladies and gentlemen, now the moment you've all been waiting for... The Belching Contest. That boy is a P.I.G. pig. I can't run anymore. I'm so sleepy. There we go. There we go. And away they go. Welcome. This is Gas Food and Lodging. I'm Gas. I'm Food. He's Lodging. There we go. <laughs> and welcome to another edition of Our Nonsense. Wait, is that a, is that a crack at my way? Do you just notice? <laughs> is that what that is? Discrimination. 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 Yeah. Well, I can't be on. I can't. I can't be on airplanes because of the smoke. Never mind. Right. Hey. So why did the chicken cross the road? Um. I don't know. To get to the idiot's house. Knock, knock. Who's there? Chicken. <laughs> Why'd Susie fall out of the swing? I think that's a long a roundabout way of calling you an idiot. It was. No, yeah. Why did Susie fall out of the swing? I don't know. She didn't have any arms. <laughs> knock, knock. Interesting. Knock, knock. Who's okay. There? Not Susie. Not Susie. <laughs> <laughs> All righty then. Okay. Great opening. <laughs> And this is a podcast about movies. Can you tell? I don't think we're going to do an entire hour on knock-knock jokes. Please, no. Uh, I do think the plan this week, as we sort of talked about on air last on air last week. Right. To talk right. about the Cohen brothers. Cohen brothers. Joel, Joel and Ethan, Ethan Coder. I think we should do the entire hour on Roderick James. Roderick James. Yes, and I don't know who that is. Oh, my God. Oh, you don't know who that is? Um, <laughs> in all the early... Currently... LeBron James. In, Cousin. In recent years, the Coen Brothers films were all credited as produced and directed by Joel and Ethan Coen. But in their early films, all throughout the 80s and 90s, their films were produced by Joel Coen, directed, or produced by no. Ethan Coen, directed by Joel Coen, written by Joel and Ethan Coen, yeah. and edited by, they just didn't want the same name again, so it's, all their films are edited by Roderick James. Really? Which is Joel and Ethan Coen. Okay. It's a pseudonym. Didn't know that. Shame on you. But yes, I did know that they do share directing and producing duties. They're well, not they, credited. They finish in each other's sentences. But, They're uh, the Michael and Janet of the film industry. <laughs> no, not quite. <laughs> But yeah, they're more recent movies. They do credit them both a... as director or both as producer. Correct. Do you? Uh, I don't know offhand. Do you know when that change happened? And if there was a specific impetus to cause it to happen, if there was like a change in some rules, twelve dollar you know, or if it was just no, they decided I'm not to do it. Positive, but I can double check. It. Okay. Was it just that that Ethan got sick of not getting best director nods? <laughs> <laughs> but they um they did get uh, nominated for No Country for Old Men, and they won. Yeah. Both uh, oh, right. So it's definitely for that one. There were. There it, were. It's been at least since No Country for Old Men that they've been. There's co been three co times in the Academy history where two people were nominated for directing a movie, and of those three times, two of them won: the Coen Brothers, and then another one some years back, back in like the '40s. That's you don't have a, what the other two movies are. Well, though. Just, How do you pull up a piece of trivia like that? And that's not becoming more common now, though, isn't it? Multiple people Multiple, directed. Yeah. Well, like the the Lego Movie guys who started off who directing. Got fired from the Han Solo movie. I like Correct. to have uh, incomplete knock knock jokes. Yes, um, you know, knock uh, knock. I don't know. Knock knock. No, fuck I'm you. I'm not Anywho. participating in your right, shenanigans. Fine. No, no. This 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 will be a slow burn. It'll be worth it. Knock knock. <sighs> Who's there? Interrupting cow. 
Moo. Right. Knock, Come knock, on, man. Knock, knock. No. Knock, knock. A really slow pig. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Anywho. <laughs> You're you're supposed to make the jokes. Ah, nope. Wait for it. Wait for it. No. We we've got plenty of time. Uh, I know. Anywho, so if you're scoring at home, have we even started anything yet? No, this is like no. You said you said the word Cohen about twelve times. I was times supposed again. to keep us on task here. Oh, I'm that's not your doing job. My job. Get on the ball, Anywho. Taskmaster. Are we doing this chronologically? Yeah, I, okay. I have notes here chronologically right, that we can help to counter. Oh my God, it's like we're professional. I know. <laughs> we went through the list at the end of the last show, so right. So chronologically, let's, let's discuss Blood Simple. Blood Simple is that what you're saying? Like, yeah. Well, I was well, just like, gonna make a. Few... There's the Simpsons episode where Bart gets the driver's license, so they go to a rated R movie. And they're walking out of the theater to the Naked Lunch. It says Naked Lunch. Yeah. And Nelson goes, I can think of two things wrong with that title. Yeah. Okay. Blood Simple has a whole lot of the first and none of the second. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. No, I was just going to make a few comments, you know, initially about, you know, you were saying that the writing and producing stuff. Didn't, didn't they but have something basically, to do with a simple plan that movie years later, Billy Bob Thornton and some uh, I don't think they had anything to do with that movie. Okay. That I that's the same thing. Hand. It's called Simple and there's nothing simple, simple about plan. it. Simple plan. Yeah, that's a really good movie too. But you know, a lot of the same actors appeared in a lot of their movies. Sure. And uh, obviously Frances McDormand appears in just about all of them. <laughs> well, she's in Blood and she's, Simple and that's when her and Joel get acquainted and get married. They got married, yes. So... And she's in basically every other. Are they still married? Yeah, yeah, yes, still married, married to this yeah. day. Huh. Mm-hmm. She she yes, just won an Academy Award for that that billboards movie. Nineteen eighty four. Yeah, but I was also going to say mm-hmm. basically. Great album. There's a very distinct style to Coen Brother movies. Yes, well, and all of their films, what in some way are a pastiche of a genre, right? Um, to. I mean, some people will call it a satire or a parody of said genre. <laughs> yeah, but but yeah. that's not always true. Really true. I don't think Blood Simple is a is a parody of noir films as much as it just flat out is a noir. Yeah. Well, man, who wasn't there, especially it's, it's more, about nineteen forties noir. noir as you can get. Yeah, I mean, it's black and white and everything. But oh. um, what sets them apart is even though they do have a very distinct style, there's always a lot of substance in their movies right where you know when you watch a movie and you go oh that looked good but there wasn't much to it right <laughs> and, and they rarely have that and there's only a couple of their and movies that don't have as good a substance right and they're very concise writers all of their dialogue john goodman on uh, inside the actor's studio and well and in, in other interviews too he's talked about this where people will ask about how much of the Big Lebowski is ad libbed? And he's like, none of it. Right. Every bit like, of that is scripted. They write like such ad-libbed. perfectly natural dialogue. They're, it's just a gift that they have. And and but it's it's important to understand that because there are nuances in said dialogue. They're, they they don't want ad libs because there are layers that you just don't even realize are yeah. there until you really sit there and and watch the movie more than once and and realize there's sly little lines. I mean. Most of the very clever things that the dude says in the Big Lebowski is him quoting something he heard early in the film. If you if you're paying attention, you know when he when he's 
you know, this this aggression will not stand. It's a direct quote of George H.W. Bush right. from earlier yeah. in the film. And um, coitus <laughs> and all that other notice. He, he, every time he's trying to- I have to, a beverage, man. Right. Every time he says something where he's trying to sound smart, he's actually quoting a line from somewhere else earlier in the film. Absolutely. Yeah. That's good. And so that's why the dialogue has to be precise for, for things like that to work. So, yeah, you know, Blood Simple, Francis McDormand's in it, uh, M. Emmett Walsh. Um, Dan Hidea, John Getz. Death to the three-name boy. Death to the two-name boy. Never mind. It's a Gilbert Gottfried bit. There's um, something about that movie is that the audience is aware of things that the characters are not. Right. The dramatic irony is what that movie is built on. Yes. Several of their films really have that. A lot of their movies are built on the dramatic irony where the audience is is aware of things that the characters are not. Yes. I mean, the the climactic scene, spoiler alert, uh, is him shooting through the wall at somebody, you know, and well, what is his comment no, when she, he, she's she shooting. shoots him. She shoots him. And she goes, I'm not afraid of you, Marty. And that's her and husband, who she doesn't even realize is dead. He's been long dead, half a and movie ago. Walsh is like, well, well if, I'll I, be sh- if I see him, I'll man, tell him. I'll, I'll tell him, because he's about to die, and he knows he knows that he's dead. Right. So he's well, I'm going to die. Maybe I'll see him in the afterlife. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. yeah, that's that's what makes that movie really complicated. There's a lot of characters doing different Pe- things. Well, people covering other. It's like right. the, he, when, when, she, the, well, when the boyfriend f- finds out that her husband is dead, he assumes she killed him. Right, and so he goes out to bury the body, and then it turns out he's not actually dead. Right, so the guy who <laughs> thinks he killed him didn't actually kill him, and th- so then he beats him to death with the shovel he was digging the shallow grave with, and that scene is completely replayed in Fargo, yeah. the, the, where they're dragging the cop so off the road. So if you haven't seen the movie, now you don't have to. Oh, that's okay. Well, but but I'm saying the scene in Fargo where they shoot the cop and then he's dragging the body off the road, and the other car is coming and witnessing him doing that is a is. The exact same scene from Blood Simple, where right. where he's dragging the body out in the field, and there's a car coming, and he's like, "Oh shit!" Um, it, I'm trying to think of uh, that's the most obvious example I can give. Can you think of other times in their films where there's like a scene in the film that that v- is very reminiscent of a previous film? I'm sure there's plenty of examples, but I'm just trying to th- think of something off the top of my head. I don't know. Anyway. So yeah, you know, love that movie. Yes, it's, Blood um, Symbol is a is a brilliant it's, it's early very, debut film. For um, I think a person today, they'd probably find the movie rather slow, maybe a little boring. I don't think they'd find it boring. They would definitely well, find it slow. Yeah, but they would find it slow. <laughs> but it's a slow and burn. It's a very slow burn. It's kind of the difference between such good lines in that movie. See, Stanley Kubrick is known for directing very slowly paced films. But there's slowly paced The Shining that is a slow burn that is that is crawling under your skin. And then there is Eyes Wide Shut that is just like, please, could the <laughs> piano have a third note? <laughs> I, I firmly believe that if he hey, hadn't dude. died, he wasn't done with that movie. I don't think he was actually done with That's Eyes Wide awesome. Shut when he died. Because it just, oh my God. So I love the film, but. Second movie, Raising Arizona, came out in 87. Funniest film of all time. Loved it. Probably. Nicolas Cage, Holly Hunter, John Goodman, William Forsythe, Francis McDermott again. And Emmett Walsh has a bit part in it. And Randall Tex Cobb. Um, who's Holly in Hunter, nothing else. Tex Cobb. I don't he's think in nothing else. He's but literally he's in no very, other uh, film ever. No, 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 no. He Name plays, another film he's in. He's an uncommon valor. He's the guy that has the grenade around his neck on the, uh, on the, uh, the necklace. Really? Because every time I've looked him up, I'm like, who is that guy? He's no, not, he did not. not in anything. So, huh. wow. 
Interesting. But yeah, yeah. the movie, I, we could probably talk Mama the didn't whole hour. He, he, Tex, Tex Cobb plays this, the biker from hell. I'm familiar. And he's got the tattoo that says, Mama didn't love me. <laughs> Basically, we could talk about this movie for the entire hour. We could, because, well, when I'm talking about them having scenes in other films reminiscent of previous films, that's a deliberate this, thing I'm saying. They're, they're, throughout, they, in all of their film, not all of it, but in a lot of their films, they have a scene that foreshadows another scene or a scene late in the film that mirrors an earlier scene. Because at the beginning of Raising Arizona, where he sneaks upstairs to steal one of the five babies, and the five babies, like, it's hysterical, him trying to keep them all calm and right. settled and get acquire the one. The one and baby the, goes under And the, the one crib, baby goes under the bed, and there's the shot him. of him reaching under there to, and dragging mm-hmm. the baby out. Right. Later in the film, when Tex Cobb is beating the shit out of him. Leonard Smalls is his character. Yes, and he's trying to get away from him, and he crawls underneath the car. Car, and he grabs him by the leg and drags him out from under the car, and it's shot for shot the same scene. Right. So, so am I wrong? No, no. You're you're wrong. Going into Stanley Kubrick, you know, when uh, when they get out of prison, John Goodman and William Forsythe, they go to that bathroom and put the stuff in their hair. Oh, later on, right. when he smashes ah. through the door, it says P O E. Uh, that's right. P E. Right. Which, which is, is a reference Dr. to Doctor Strangelove, Peace on Earth, Purity of Essence. Purity of essence. Right. Yes. Very so that's that's, a nice, that. that's, that's nice. a nice little touch that they put in that movie. But wait a minute, what is it? What does that smell? Uh, we hit, just telling your better half here that uh, we hit the main sewer line as we were tunneling out. Dumb luck that. Wait a minute, y'all busted out of jail, uh, ma'am. Uh, we released ourselves on our own recognizance. I, I what I was trying to say is, is there, we felt that the institution they, no longer had anything to offer us. Did they create words for that movie? Like, we leave ourselves of our own reconnaissance. Is that, that even a real word? Yes. And then that's, later that's on, a legal term. Yeah, it's a legal when, term. When it's a legal is, term. Uh, I've heard that quite a few times. When High is in front well, of the uh, you've lived a different lifestyle board, than uh, Mr. Logic over and he here. Says, uh, the guy says, recidivism. I'm like, is that a real word? That, that is, is a real word, word yeah. for but a repeat the, offender. The, the word that I think that they did create is M. Emmett Walsh when he's all Mother Scratcher. He's all, not that Mother Scratcher, Bill, <laughs> Bill Parker. Parker. And I think they did create Mother Scratcher. I'm sure they did, yes. yes. But that is that has a great language. Oh, There's a oh, spherical right, object in the highway. Well, actually, relating that back to last week's episode, what was Raising Arizona rated? PG? PG-13. PG-13. He says Mother Scratcher to keep it up from an R rating, I'm sure. I suppose, yeah. Yeah, not, nice point. So the big question, is Leonard Smalls the bounty hunter? Nathan Jr., when he grows up, if he stays with High and Ed. Yes. If he basically vanishes into it's an alternate timeline. Right. And he's 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 a he's a paradox that ceases to exist, just like Marty McFly fades away in the 50s if his parents don't get together. His character no longer exists because they choose to give back the baby. Right. Leonard Smalls is Nathan Jr. Had he been raised by them rather than by his father. There's several clues, one of which is when he blows up the little baby shoes that fall down. The baby shoes that fall. You hear the cry. The other is the the tattoo, the the Roadrunner tattoo. Yeah. I think it's Woody Woodpecker. It's not Woody Woodpecker. It's it's Thrusher. uh, It's an auto part. I think it's uh, spark plugs or something. You'd number me. Right. I used to have one on my base. But there's a lot of... So like symbolism of childbirth. 
Yes. You know, when they escape prison and he comes up out of the mud, it's like he's getting born. Right. He's being pulled and from the womb by John Goodman when, well, upside he, down. Goodman comes out first and then Head he pulls first. out the other one. Leg first. With the leg and he holds him up. And, and they're you know, screaming bands. the whole time like a baby crying. Right. I've never it's, even it's, heard this. This is like. You've never thought about all these things? Mind fuck. You never even thought about all these details, have you? No. When you and think every Coen Brothers has this kind of shit in it. When you well, think yeah. of olden days, when a baby's born, the uh-huh. doctor holds him up by the legs and spanks right. him, and he cries. Right. right. Whether or not that's true, I don't know. But it used is, to could. It, it used to is, be true. That's what's happening in that scene. Yeah. And what happens at the <clears> end? They don't go back and turn themselves into prison. They go back to the hole. Oh, that's right. They go back Holy in. Fuck. They basically I didn't think break into it. They're basically saying maybe that they're not mature enough to be born yet. Yeah, that they're going that's back an interesting into point. the womb to you know they they're only they maybe they were preemies. Sometimes you got to put your career before family. <laughs> you know, there, there's a lot of little things like that in the movie about. And we just keep going across about that. Southwest proper until uh, we can retire or do we get caught. Either way, we're set for life. <laughs> right. But you know, and and again, you know, when they come out, they're covered in mud, and when they mm-hmm. return, they're covered in the paint from the. Uh, from the, well, there's a detail the, I hadn't thought about, but you're know, right. The, but I mean, the blue dye yeah, from the it's, from money. It's, they're like the same when they go back. Yeah, know? that's a solid point. Their, their characters, they, they don't have a story. They they return back. Right. Whereas, Whereas the other characters yeah. have, a, have a story arc. Uh, it has Next. one of the greatest last lines of any movie, though, by the yeah. way. <laughs> if, if not Arizona, maybe somewhere not too far. Where, you know, families are always, you know, children are always kind and parents are always, you know, wise, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it was there's Utah. So many, <laughs> like, son, you got a panty on your, your head. head. I mean, there's so many. That chase scene. I will lines. actually, I have actually sat and did a side by side comparison. Comedy gold. Of. Yeah. Back the, when Nicholas Cage was The like, chase scene at the end of good, Ferris Bueller's good. Day Off. Yeah. Where he's, he's crossing all the lawns while. His sister's trying right. to Jennifer Grey's going comparing that scene to the chase scene with the with the Huggies in uh, Raising Arizona is freaking. Both of those are the greatest car chases that don't involve a car ever. Um. <laughs> Fair enough. But yeah, you know, again, you know, their creativity create, you know, giving his character name High H I. Mm-hmm. And Edwina, they call her Ed. Right. And there's a He's lot got of, a female name. She's they, got a they make, male name. They come up with creative names and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, my name's not Nathan Arizona. And it turns out it's not. <laughs> right. Would you buy furniture from unpainted Hup Hines? <laughs> all right. So then we got 1990. Do, do, you, have any, do you have any disgruntled employees? Hell, all my employees are disgruntled. My, my motto is my word. Watch your butt. <laughs> 1990 Miller's Crossing. I will be busting out quotes from Crossing. all of these films and, and discuss them. You know, I you've like got them. Gabriel Byrne, but you've got John Turturro, who re- is in a lot of their movies. Yes. Uh, John Polito, which, you know, you probably don't recognize that name, but he's... He plays, oh, he's in uh, so many of their films. He's in their films. He plays he's, Donny Casper. He's, he's, the, he's the detective yeah. working for Bunny's parents yeah. in Lebowski. Who, who's the guy in the Iron Lung? Because he's in their other films, too. And he's yeah, all he is I, I is the guy know. in the Iron Lung in Lebowski, but he's in the other films as but well. But basically, this is possibly my favorite Coen Brothers movie. Well, let me tell you, when the credits are rolled, you serious right now? Oh yeah. yes. Oh yeah. When, right. when the credits rolled on No Country for Old Men, the thought that went through my mind as I walked out of the theater was, I think they finally made a better movie than Miller's Crossing. <laughs> that honestly, that was my thought. I, I honestly, if we sat and tried to like rate their films, I think No Country is going to hit number one and Miller's number two. Um, Miller's Crossing is 
the the detail and the brilliance and the subtlety of the interactions of people in that movie is fucking brilliant. Yeah. And and what's amazing about that film is you you're 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 neglecting to point out that that is not their their the next movie. The next movie is Barton Fink. No, Miller's. Because they were working on racing Arizona. Well, they wrote it. This is the point. They were working on Miller's Crossing and got writer's block. Yes. So they wrote wrote Barton Barton Fink, Fink. a film about a writer with writer's block. Right. And then went back and finished Miller's Crossing. Right. And those two films came out the same year. No, 90 and 91. How far apart month-wise? I don't know. Official release dates. Palm de Or and all that. Because I'm don't sh- have an, I don't have that. Does hand. not compute. I just know that. Yeah. Well, which because wasn't Barton Fink the Palm Dayar the, the the you know the winner at the uh, Cannes Film Festival? No, I don't know that. I, I'm pretty sure it was. Um, they've been darlings of Cannes. Charlie, can you look that up for us and let us know, please? What's interesting about the movie? I mean, they never. Go ahead, ask her. Ask I, her if if uh, Barton Fink won the Palm Dayar. She doesn't. No, no, ask her. Did Barton Fink win the Palm Dayar? They Dayar? never... Um, She's not here right now. There's no specific date given for the movie, but it is obviously probably the 20s. It's and set no vaguely specific... during the Depression. More like Prohibition. Well, Prohibition, yes. Okay, sorry. Correct. Vaguely during Different the Prohibition. They don't is have it a, Chicago? Is it even no. Chicago? They don't even say what city they're it's in. It's vaguely Chicago? I mean, you could say, well, maybe it's the city of Miller, but no. I mean, the Miller's Crossing is the whole thing where they go out into the trees and such. Right. Gabriel Byrne, and I know there there are many movies where one actor is basically in the whole movie, and Gabriel Byrne is basically in that whole movie. There's only a few scenes where he's not. But what kind of sets that apart with some other movies like that is is he's driving that movie constantly. He's always scheming uh, with and, people. He is the main focus of and, those scenes. And, and there, there are I mean, a lot are, of actors are, who can play like a calm, level-headed character, but... But it's boring, so to speak. Gabriel Byrne has this ability. He does this in the usual suspects. He does it in this. He does it in so even in fucking cool world. Uh, he has this ability to bleed this. To talk, he doesn't have this wide emotional range, and he's always talking very calmly, very directly. Right. He doesn't. He doesn't raise his voice if he's angry or something for emphasis. He maybe drops his voice a little. He's an Irishman. He doesn't have emotions. <laughs> right. But, but but my point is, what the point I mean by, by all that is, but behind it, there is always this simmering depth to to all the characters he's ever played. He's not he's calm but, but not boring in any way. His performance in Miller's Crossing is it just is the film. Yeah, you know and 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 there are other things like uh, when they're going through the woods looking for Bernie's body. Right. And you look, he doesn't say anything in that scene, but the look on his face is like, crap, I'm about to be found out. Right. And he's, right. He's very surprised when they find a body. Right. Wrong <laughs> wrong body, but he doesn't know whose body. Yeah. That's not the point. They're, oh, right. good. They found a body. I'm not going to become one. Um, yeah, no. And at some point, I'm sure you're going to bring up the, 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 the hat motif. Yeah, so there's the hat at the beginning, the opening, where the hat's blowing in the wind. What does that mean? You know, I, and, I, I don't know. Is it... The, well, no, the throughout the entire life. No, I think throughout <laughs> the entire film, um, a man's hat represents his his manhood or his dignity. I'm yeah. not saying in like a sexual way, like it's his penis. I mean, like it's his dignity. Right. It's his right. ego. If you dis when the little kid 
finds the guy dead in the alley. Right, and he pulls off And he very toupee. carefully reaches out and snatches off the toupee. And there's the comment later where they, they even took his fucking toupee or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, because he'd been robbed of his dignity by, by the loss of the toupee. Right. There's, there's the whole scene where what's-her-name beats the hell out of Gabriel Byrne. Just smacking him around. And he never loses the hat. Yeah. In the whole fight. <laughs> she knocks him over multiple times. And it's not until the very end that the hat comes off and he picks it up and puts it back. And it's like he keeps his dignity throughout the entire thing, no matter how she's beating the shit out right. of him. Right. And and it that that symbolism throughout the entire film is very important. And there's you the whole thing say, where he talks about, you know, Polito's character, you know, giving me the high hat. hat. Yeah. Right. There's you know, chasing after your hat, it's like you once possessed the hat and now you're constantly chasing something that you may never recapture again. Like right. if you lose your dignity, you can never get it back. You right. Know? It's, and your reputation. Your reputation it has yeah. been soiled. Right. Yeah. So it, it, the, 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 the symbol, when, when you go back and rewatch that film, thinking about the hat motif symbolism, it suddenly opens up a whole nother like depth to, to your understanding of the film. It's amazing. One of my favorite scenes is the part where uh, he's about to get beat up in the warehouse. And then, you know, there's the big guy and he's like, hold on a second. You know, he's going to like take off his jacket and he picks up the chair and hits him. Right. <laughs> and then he kind of walks off like with his tail between his legs. And then the other guy just walks in and throws his hat off and bam. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Starts beating the crap out of Gabriel Byrne again. Yes. 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 I love that scene. Yeah. It, 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 he, he, I don't know. His, he's, he, he's so good in that movie. And I can't think of, what is her name? The woman. Oh, I, the actress? Ah, I'm so Yeah, I got it right here. Um, You're talking about um, Marsha Gay Harden. Marsha Gay Harden. Oh, my God. The, the girlfriend. Albert Finney. Albert you know, Finney. the boss. I, I do remember I said I should bring up the old website. I should have found those old Coen Brothers reviews. You said, like, great things about this movie, blah, blah, this, 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 this. Bad things about this movie, um, Tommy Guns with Infinite Bullets. Yeah. That's the one that's complaint that, you have well, about the entire yeah, film. I mean, you know, that scene where he's just shooting, shooting, shooting forever. Like for but five hey, minutes. It's great. It's fantastic. <laughs> Feeding him so, up through his pant leg. Like you were saying, 1991. Oh, he shoots. Oh, I just remembered that part of the scene where he's under the. he shoots him from under the bed and shoots their, their friggin' feet. shins. Yeah. Oh. Well, Ow. you know, and then there's the other scene later, you know, with Johnny Casper where he's all, this is something I like to teach all my boys. Put one in the brain. And I mean, that movie is so yeah. violent. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But yeah, so you got Barton Fink, 1991, rated R. Barton Fink. Hold on, hold on. I cannot believe I re- when we did the whole David Fincher thing that we never brought up Barton Fink. What's in the box? Right. Well, I was going to mention that again. Yeah. So you got John Goodman again. You've got uh, um, Tony Shalhoub, which appears in several of his movies. Buscemi's in it for, the I think, the first movie he's in. Uh, John Polito again. Oh, you're right. Buscemi is the, is the bellhop in that. But no, Buscemi is in Miller's Crossing. He has one is scene. He? He's the body in the woods. Oh, yeah. He's the body you just mentioned that's in the woods. He has exactly one on screen, and then he's the body. He's in, yeah, so he's in... He's the sequel fan, which is where I learned that word. When you talk about words they make up, I didn't know what the fuck the word sequel fan was, and my sister-in-law actually, like, it's like, you don't know what that word means? It's like Mr. Smithers. I think every <laughs> actor in that movie, I mean, when he gets their, when they get their scene, they just, just chew up the scene. Like Michael Lerner as the Hollywood boss. I mean, when he, he's just, you know, 
talks nonstop <laughs> with, with Barton there. Yes. I mean, he really just loves that character. You yes. Know, and, and then you, there's other, like when Tony Shalhoub shows up and he's like, it's just a wrestling pitcher. You yeah, know? what are you doing? <laughs> I mean, everybody trying, in that movie. Well, it, it's kind of funny because in a scene, way. just kind of eat it up. That, I right. never really thought about this before, but in a way, that movie is the Coen's relationship with Hollywood still yeah, at the time. Sure. The, they were these independent movie makers who wanted to put all this important depth and meaning into their films, but Hollywood just wants you to turn out a hit. It's just a wrestling picture. I don't need this crap about him wrestling with his soul. You know, right. um, <laughs> you know it's funny you say that. But um, anyway. But yeah, the box. Oh, I, mean, I was going to so say, got... Goodman. Uh, the, the point I was going to make about Goodman, I think that is, Barton Fink is the first film where Goodman plays, how do I put this, a non-comedic character. Yeah. He's, he's done this to great effect since, where you're so used to him being so funny that then when he plays something less... He kind of plays um, against type. The, the, most, the most recent one is um, the uh, Cloverfield Lane. Oh, 10, Ten Cloverfield, Ten Cloverfield Lane. Lane. That? Oh, that's a fantastic right. movie. Where, and the other person who pulls that off well in a handful of films is, is Robin Williams. Yeah. In, in um, the... One hour photo and oh, he was scary good on that. Yeah, but the other, the really good, the other really good one is um, Insomnia. Right, right. That Where you're guy. so used to this person being funny that seeing them be this dark character is that much more disturbing. Right. And that's Goodman rides this perfect line of through most of the film, you think he is some sort of comic relief character, and then when you realize who he really is, it's that much more twisted. And and my favorite line in the fucking movie is after he's the whole the hallway's on fire and everything and he walks in and he, he, he and he goes how you doing Barton <laughs> it's just me you know it's, it, he, your old pal I just blanked on his name what's his name uh, anyway your old pal so and so and he goes are you sure it isn't months I heard it was months Madman months <laughs> you know people can be cruel if it ain't my build it's my personality. <laughs> But I'm not mad, at Martin. Honest, I'm not. <laughs> so yeah, you know, bringing up the box. I mean, at the end of the movie, he's got he gives him the box. What's in the box? What's in the box? But that goes back to you and, know. And again, seven has presumably her head, right? Presumably that would go back to rear window and what's in the hat box in the right. fridge. Because right. it's again got, literally a hat box. You've got the suitcase in Pulp Fiction. What's in that? Uh, his uh, well, his soul. I think we. And then you've got the Maltese Falcon is, in a way, the same thing. What is the Maltese Falcon? It's a right. jewel. It's a, yeah. it's a carved falcon. It's, it's, it's something. It's the stuff that, that dreams are made of. It's a fucking yeah. statue. The stuff so, that dreams yeah, are made of. Yeah, I mean. Next. Next? <laughs> well, no. I mean, it's great when she's like on the beach at the end. What, what is the exact line where she's like, what's in the box? And he goes, I don't know. Yeah. Or are you going to open it? I don't know. <laughs> End of movie. Yeah. And you're like, wow. Good movie. I love yes. that movie. So uh, I actually saw Barton Fink, you know, when it came out in theaters. And then I was like, oh, this is Coen Brothers. That, I, I, don't I saw know, that in the theater. In theater. Wow. And I was like, and I remembered Raising Arizona was the Coen Brothers. And then like maybe a year later, because, you know, it came out after Miller's Crossing. And then like maybe a year later, I was watching like HBO or something. And this movie started, Miller's Crossing. And I didn't know anything about it, but I watched Miller's Crossing, totally engrossed in it. And then it gets to the end, and like with all Coen Brothers movies, their credits are at the end. And I'm like, Joel and Ethan Coen, I'm like, oh, it's the people that did Barton Fink. 
Right. And right. I was like, that's why that movie was so damn good. Right. <laughs> yeah, and I remember seeing Raising Arizona so, in the theater. I saw but at the time, Arizona having no idea that you know it was anything. It was I just remember a comedy. watching Siskel and Ebert review Raising Arizona back in the days. So yeah. So after you got that, you've got the Hudsucker Proxy, which is 1994, and that you could say is like their their Hollywood film. <laughs> right. You know, and and when they were kind of you know, going with something more mass appeal, I guess. Right. And it's not their best effort, unfortunately. I don't know <laughs> if it was pressure from the studio for them to make that movie or, you know, yeah. if they just missed. Yeah. I mean, they tried. I mean, you know, they've got Tim Robbins and, and um, Paul Newman in that movie. Right. And um, basically the best part is um, Jennifer Jason Lee's character. She plays the fast-talking news reporter. Right. And uh, she's really good, and that's probably the best part of the movie. <laughs> and um, you know that kind of relates back to um, um, the movie His Girl Friday from 1940 with Cary Grant, and uh, that movie had uh, Rosalind Russell, and she was a fast-talking news reporter. Right. And so that's what they're kind of paying tribute to. So, yeah, I mean, Hot Sucker Proxy. It's not a bad movie. You know, it has the, the hula hoop and the frisbee and the movie kind of goes full circle on itself. You know, Newman jumps out of the building at the beginning and then later on Tim Robbins jumps out, but then he stops midair. Right. But that's, that's all I could really say about that movie. Well, uh, that, the timing of that was perfect because I didn't want to talk about the Hudsucker Proxy at all, so there I didn't go. have to. So all then right. you've got Fargo. So you would think, Boom. okay. As Billy, as, as Billy Crystal put it at the Oscars that year, um, you know, welcome to the Oscars, or as they're calling it this year, Sundance by the Sea. Yeah. Because it was all indie movies was the big thing in the mid-90s. And this is what finally brought the Coen brothers to a, a wide audience. Right. And so you're saying to yourself, when you're watching the Hudsucker Proxy, after seeing, you know, great movies like, you know, um, Miller's Crossing and Barton Fink, and you're like, has the well one dry with these guys? Can they nope. do it? And then they come back with Fargo, and you're like, no. They, they, they <laughs> the well still, has not run dry. Buscemi, this is when Buscemi, it's actually pretty, a movie that really brought Buscemi yeah. a lot of notoriety. Right. He was, he was, he'd been a solid character actor for a long time at that point. Um, but that movie really brought him out as, I mean, and he's, as everybody puts it, he's a weird looking dude, even in the movie. somebody he was kind of funny looking, I don't know, just in a general sort of way, kind of funny looking, <laughs> um, you know, I mean, Buscemi will be the first to tell you he's a funny looking dude, but, um, but it's fascinating that, uh, he, he, um, became fairly famous and got some really big roles yeah. because of. Uh, Fargo. Right. So Francis McDormand again in their movie. Now, <laughs> and here's the interesting thing when I mentioned the Oscars. She was nominated for Best Actress. William H. Macy was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Right. But and he has more screen time than her. Than her, yeah. Like considerably. Um, he I got a good I got a good, good Fargo story. Go. Okay. okay, here we All go. All right, so okay. we're coming out of the theater, right? No. Oh, fuck. He's been waiting for this. No. You've been sitting oh over there God. being real quiet. I've been waiting for this. You've been sitting there so quiet, like like chiming in very little. Right. You've been biding your time. All right. We will Almost. just sit back and listen to your oh, rendition this of this. Story. Oh, God. Okay, God. because we, of course, both will have two completely different perspectives on this story. Right. So let's hear Shut it from up, a third party. I know. This is the truth. <laughs> so they come out of the theater, right? It's me, Pat, and Roland, and uh, Roland's sister-in-law, Robin. And we're coming out of the theater. Now, at the beginning of the movie, 
it says uh, that it was based on true events. And then at the end of the movie, it says that... Like all movies. The legal disclaimer. The legal this, disclaimer. this is a work right. of fiction. Okay. All, all likenesses, right. are, you know, so are these, no, purely coincidental. These two have a disagreement about <laughs> whether or not it's a true story. <laughs> to the point where it becomes a physical encounter. Now, in the, in the parking lot, in the parking lot theater. of the movie theater, they start fist fighting <laughs> over this particular topic. Now, the sister-in-law wants to break it up, and I'm like, no, 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 no. I was no. like, no, 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 no. no this no, no. this has been brooding for a long time. This is bigger than this movie. No. This mo this moment needs to happen right now. But uh, whenever someone says Fargo, I always chuckle a little bit. <laughs> Because how I, far will we go? Because I, I remember that, and it was, uh, it was, it was awesome. Here's the irony. Here's the ironic thing. Do you recall? Because I do not. Which side either of us were on in the argument? I remember. I was said it was false. Okay, you said it wasn't true, and, and I said, said it was, was because of the, the lines because of the. Okay, oh, yeah, that's fine. Well, I oh, think, it, well, and and actually, and and at this point, I will now agree with you because. The illegal disclaimer at the end is a legal requirement. Right. Whereas the line at the beginning is to set up the audience. Right. It's right. not, yeah, exactly. Okay. Next. So Frances McDormand's character is pregnant, but right. it's not really relevant to the plot. Which, in you no know, way. It's just it, a character plot. Right. Uh, she doesn't even give birth in trait. the movie. She's not just great. a little pregnant. She's a lot oh, yeah. of pregnant. And right. you know, if, 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 if the Hollywood studios had stepped in and said, you know, if she's pregnant, that means, you know, at the end of the movie, she's got to give birth or she's got to get shot right. by one of the bad guys and then go into an emergency C-section right. or something, oh. you know. And but no, none of that happens. It's right. just the fact Her that pregnancy she's is not relevant to the story. Not at all. It's simply, it's right. a character trait, trait that she has. Right. And, and, that's, and, and, well, the point of it is to show the strength of this everyday woman, that right. she, she is just a common, everyday, salt-of-the-earth kind of character that just does what needs to be done in the situation she's presented with. Right. And in spite of the fact that she's very pregnant, she's still the fucking sheriff, and nothing ever happens in this town. Right. But, oh, my God, there's a murder. There's a bunch of stuff going on. That's it's Steve. my job to deal right. with it. Fargo right. is Steve Buscemi's movie, though. Oh, it's yeah. so his movie. It's funny because, yes. I William just thought H we could take care of it here. Dorman gets so <laughs> much credit Brainer. for it. William H. Macy gets so much. But <laughs> Kind of funny looking. <laughs> But yeah, that movie is very, very violent. Oh, absolutely. You know, when, when he, when, when he, in the car scene, like, when he grabs the cop and he shoots him in the head and the blood pours yeah, out of the shot in the face. Yeah. I was like, whoa, when yeah. that happened. Well, when he's and like, <laughs> he's in the hotel room, you're talking about Buscemi is banging the hooker. And what's his name? John Redcorn, whatever, the fucking Native John American. Redcorn. <laughs> what the fuck? The Native American Let's mechanic just character. Let's a whole bunch of right. fucking people I mean, here. I can't remember the character's name, but the point is, comes in and literally like pulls him off of her. Yeah. He's like, hey, I was fucking that chick. And he's just like beating him with the belt. <laughs> Send me back to fucking prison, you motherfucker. He's just beating the shit. And then the, it immediately cuts from him getting the shit beat out of him to him on the phone. <laughs> it's like, I need the money now. There's right. just no more, you know. <laughs> So and it's like one person pushing another person pushing, and that's kind of what the whole thing of the movie is: is all these events set in motion, and one thing pushes. It's a bunch of dominoes. Right. One pushes and pushes one thing that pushes another. I mean, Macy is setting off the entire chain, and when you talk about things that aren't 
like the pregnancy being just there. Yeah. We don't even know. There's all these car loans that are spurious, spurious yeah. that, that, that Macy has done, and that's why he needs some money. But there's no explanation for whatsoever as to why he needs the money in the plate. Why Why was he doing these shady car loans right. that he now needs the money? <laughs> no, I mean, that's what I'm saying. There's no explanation for that. Gambling. Huh? So at the end of the movie, not, after not seeing really a all immensely character. violent movie, yes. you have this little scene where she's in bed with her husband. They're talking about the stamp that he designed with yeah. the duck. And the painting of a duck that got yeah. on the three And there's just this sweet little scene at the end. And yeah. she reassures him about, you right. know, when they raise the price of stamps, they use like the oh my god, stamp. Oh, my God. You know, you know what you just made when I talk about mirroring scenes? The last scene in No Country for Our Men is the exact opposite scene. Yeah. Because it is the two of them sitting at the dinner table. And this very calm, serene scene after this massively violent film where he... Whereas in Fargo, the scene is life is calm and normal, and then this shit goes down, the shit gets taken care of, yeah. and life is back to normal. And you have that sweet little ending of them in bed, uh, this, this long, you yeah. know, been married a long time, solid, salt-of-the-earth couple, and everything is just fine, back to normal. Whereas in No Country for Old Men, the ending is Tommy Lee Jones just looking at her going... What the fuck? You know, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and I'm too old for this world. I, and it, it, that scene is like the explanation of the title. This is no country for old men. You know, that the younger men, what has come along now is beyond what the, this old man can now comprehend. And you know yeah. what I mean? That's kind of, and it's, it, it, but it really is kind of a contrasting scene because he's just very calmly talking to her about it. And the camera slowly moves on his face. And then it just cuts to the credits and everyone's like, Did, is that's it? It's over. It ended. <laughs> and no one says that about a coma. <laughs> well, no, they but just I, go, Oh, Oh, that's it. Well, but what I'm saying is that, that no, I mean, I know I'm jumping ahead on you. I apologize, no, it's fine. but I'm saying, taking that contrast of it's really her, not fine. her pregnancy in Fargo already exists at the beginning of the film and still exists at the end. It right. is in, in the film itself. It's superfluous. It's a slice. slice of well, life. But my point is it's a slice out of life that life existed before this film. Life exists after this film. This is just one part of the story. Right. And Anton Sugar at the end of no country for old men, there's the accident. He buys the kid's shirt. He takes off. He, he in no way, in no way does the bad guy get caught in no way do the good guys win at the end of no country for old men. It just happens. And it's like there were bad things happening before the movie started. And and what's his name? Um, Brolin stumbles upon this, right? And so it's his story initially, but him coming into events that have been ongoing before the movie began. And then how these events play out. And then they go on. They The crime hasn't been ended. This stuff is still going to keep going on. And life continues after this film. And this film is just a slice out of it. Um, but it... But it's the exact opposite effect on Tommy Lee Jones's character versus Francis McDormand's character. Is that by the end of Fargo, things went awry in her life but then came right back to base and she's fine. In the same way we talked about... Um, Goodman and Forsyth going back into the mud mm -hmm. at the end of Raising Arizona that they've just come full circle and everything's reset whereas for Tommy Lee Jones everything goes on except him yeah this movie's events have terminated what he is capable of dealing with in this world right so after Fargo we see they have kind of like a 
you know, they can do Miller's Crossing, Fargo, violent movies, Blood Simple. They come back with a comedy, Big Lebowski. Which is my favorite. Absolutely got a huge call. I mean, it the Big Lebowski is above the Coen brothers. <laughs> yes. You know what right. I mean? <laughs> I mean it's all these other, whenever we bring up if you ever bring up Fargo or Raising Arizona or No Country for Old Benny, you're always you're talking about, about it in the context of being a Coen Brothers film. But when you talk about the Big Lebowski, it is an it is a world unto itself. <laughs> it is funny, it is smart, it is well written, well directed. It is talked about in the context of stoner films. You can compare Big Lebowski to Cheech and Chong's Up in Smoke and Harold and Kumar go to White Castle and those types of films. What's the one with Red Man? You're insulting the film right now, right? No, no, no. <laughs> the, no, this is the point I'm making. It falls into the stoner comedy subgenre, but it is therefore easily the best film in that subgenre. Um, I'm not exactly sure how to take that. I mean, first of all, you're wrong on both points. <laughs> There's one character who's a stoner, and that's it. It's the main character, fine. But it's not a stoner movie. No, I, yeah, I would agree. It's not a stoner movie. It's not. Okay. There's a stoner in the movie. <laughs> but, okay. uh, so right. yeah, you back up Bridges. I'm not... It's not like I'm the only one saying that point. John I'm Goodman, saying it right. has, again. It, well, okay, let me rephrase what I said. It is not a part of the stoner... stoner comedy subgenre. That's a bummer, but man. When people talk about the stoner comedy subgenre, they will make references to the Big Lebowski. Sure. Is that fair? Yes. Okay. You got Steve Buscemi again. You got Peter Stormare who was just in Fargo. Uh John Turturro. I'm the wa- I'm the walrus. <laughs> John Polito again. Is he in that movie? He's the he's Bunny's parents oh, is the right. private detective. Yeah, did, 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 that's right. Yes. I remember that. I love your work, man. I am the Philip walrus. Philip One side playing against the other. Philip Seymour Hoffman is... I didn't even know it was him. Philip Seymour Hoffman is one of those great character actors because I, I don't know how many times I'd seen that film before one day... You didn't at, know he was Prince? <laughs> no, I'm saying I'd seen other films with Philip Seymour Hoffman and then I'm watching The Big Lebowski one day and I went... Holy oh. fuck, that's Philip Seymour Hoffman. He's he's one of those character actors that just sinks into a role. You think the carpet, carpet pissers did this? And um, well, uh, There's just dude, no way of knowing, though, I, is there, dude? I've forgotten his name. Sam, the the narrator guy. Sam. Oh, um, oh. Um, I, wanted, I wanted to say Watterson, but that's not right. No, it's not <laughs> Sam Watterson. It's, it's, uh, it, I don't think it's Sam, because oh, it's... Uh, oh, my I God, he's in it. everything. He's in Mask. It. He's, he's he shares love interest in Mask. He, he plays a cowboy he's got a, he's got or a biker voice. generally. His, his really voice, voice is almost as sexy as mine. So yeah. the movie. I actually used to work at a restaurant that sold Sioux City Sarsaparilla, and I never caught the line until we were carrying that beverage. And then I, the line I at the end is like, "You got any good sarsaparilla? We got Sioux City sarsaparilla. It's That's not a good one." Sam Waterston. <laughs> no, Sam Waterston yeah. is the DA on Law and Order. Oh. It's, we, why don't you ask your phone? Ask your damn hey, phone. Who's the narrator of the Big Lebowski? Okay, at the beginning, the Don't movie is 1998. Came out in 1998, but at Our the start of the movie, first conflict with the Iraqis. They the movie set in what, like 91? It'd be like 91 ish. Okay, yeah, during why during Sam Elliott. Sam, Sam Elliott. There we go. God, I can't believe I forgot it was. Thank Sam you, Karen. <laughs> what is your theory on why the movie was set in like 91? And why it's just, set in 91 and not set in 1998 when the movie came out? Do you have any theory on that? Because I do. Hmm. <laughs> well, I Let's mean, hear it, Pat. Go, yeah, smoking. Go smoking had been banned in 1998 oh. inside bars or any place. Right. That okay. Was, we were still smoking set. inside in 98. So, no, no, no. no, no. no in 94, I worked at a. So by setting the movie in like 91 before the I, ban on I smoking. I was waiting tables at a right. Denny's California. when that law went into effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They so can have I'm the well characters aware. smoke anywhere in that movie. 
the bars I hung out. That's an interesting point. That's my theory. I well, (laughs) I (sighs) cigarettes. Yes. Okay. There's a lot of smoking in Coen Brothers. Cigarettes. There certainly is. (laughs) Okay. Fair enough. Um, well, I'm trying to think about: Is there a way that it's integral to the to some kind of? Can symbolic I get another Caucasian well, You know, I mean, it's 1998 when it came out, set in '91, and they talk about Reagan. That would have been a lot more recent. You yeah, know, he'd only well, been they talk about for Bush. Like years. Well, wasn't he part of the the guy had the things on the wall about the Reagan Foundation or something? Oh, something little, like okay, yeah, Lebowski, yeah, yeah, yeah. Urban Achievers. Right, that. Yeah. But I'm saying there's more references to George W. Bush. Right. So and I mean, there's the the one guy in the in the in the in the acid trip it's who not plays w. Saddam Hussein, giving him the bowling shoes. Yeah. That guy had actually made a career of that. He there is like at least four films where he has a cameo as Saddam Hussein. That guy. That's a career. Yeah. I don't know what the <laughs> what. But yeah, you I said would, he made I a career. That, that, that well, the big Lebowski, I'm saying. It's, it's not a one most quotable movie. It, it's it's by far <laughs> their much best as I film. was quoting as much as I was quoting Raising Arizona. I would I, I would say it's one I, of their look, most. Quotable. I love Raising Arizona, but the Big Lebowski oh, is by far their best. Movie. Well, it is because well this is this is my theory on how Joel and Ethan Cohen directed their actors in that film. They took uh, they took um, uh, Jeff Bridges aside and said, Jeff, you're the big name star. The movie is about you. This whole movie is yours. You are the focus of the film. And then Jeff walked away. Right and then on, they man. turned to John Goodman and said, John, your job <laughs> is to steal every fucking scene from Jeff. Okay. <laughs> Fair John Goodman deserved an Oscar for that film. And I'm not saying that yeah. hyperbotically. I'm not saying that sarcastically. I sincerely believe he deserved at least a nomination yeah. for that right. film. His performance is so good. Give me the whites. Just, just, just Drinking my coffee. I don't, Finishing my coffee. I don't. I can get you a toe. I get you a toe by three o'clock with nail polish. I don't ball on Shabbos. I told that fuck at the league office. <laughs> that crap. No, I don't fucking roll on Saturday. Talking about like, char- specific character like, traits. Donnie. The, the, the one of the first lines that Goodman has at the Shut beginning. Shut the fuck up, Donnie. Is is <laughs> when is when he says uh, one of the one of the first lines he has near the beginning of the movie when the wow. dude is talking about the rugs is he says um, the Chinaman is not the issue oh and by the way dude um, uh, Asian American is the acceptable political term so one of his earliest lines of dialogue is correcting someone else for using a racial slur and then he uses <laughs> non-stop racial slurs the rest of the I told that crowd I don't roll on Chavez right. we, we said it we got these towel heads over there and he's just, just racial slur after racial slur throughout the movie <laughs> the Chinaman is not the issue I could have settled for a pissed on rug and, and he, is there any line of dialogue that Steve Buscemi has in the film? I am the walrus. That is not finished with "Shut the fuck up, Donnie." Yeah. <laughs> How but, many "Shut the fuck up, Donnies" are there in that movie? By the In-N-Out Burger. Shut the fuck up, Donnie. All right. So then you got to follow up, Oh Brother, Where Thou Thou in two thousand. Uh, and this is where George Clooney. Yeah. Truly shows off his comedy chops, and it's not that he'd never done comedy before. But at the time, he was big because of ER. Okay, but now, he played like Booker on Roseanne, and he'd right. done some other stuff. But this is where he really busts out some comedy chops. Now, this movie is loosely based on Homer's the Iliad, Odyssey. right? The Odyssey, the Odyssey, part of it. Right. Yes, the 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 blind guy on the railroad tracks is the is the 
Boatman at the River Sticks or whatever. Yeah, John Goodman is the Cyclops. Is the Cyclops. Oh, my God. Brilliant scene. He, first of all, he plays a Bible salesman with an eye patch. So he's only got one eye. So he's, quote, the Cyclops. Then when they get to the fucking Klan rally. <laughs> he's and he's wearing hood, the hood with only, only one, one eye hole. cut out. <laughs> that is the funniest thing I have ever seen. The color guard's colored. <laughs> That's so much. <laughs> I'm a Dapper Dan man. Yeah. I'm a Dapper Dan man. <laughs> no, no, no. The, the, the line right at the beginning that just kind of sums up the interplay of the three characters for the whole movie is where, like, well, who made you the leader? Well, I thought it should be somebody who's capable of rational thought, and so I'm voting for yours truly. Oh, yeah? Well, I'm voting for yours truly, too. Well, what do you think? Uh, I'm with you fellers. <laughs> But yeah, you know, you got uh, the sirens that turn him into a frog, turn him into a toad. John Goodman, uh, Charles Durning. Oh, Holly Hunter makes her come back. I Holly think that's Hunter. the first film she'd been with him since Michael Raising Bell Arizona. Looking. Is Holly Hunter in anything else prior be- between Raising Arizona no. and that? Because isn't Holly no, Hunter notice, in Blood Simple? Is she in Blood Simple? I don't think so. No. I think she has a small role in Blood Simple. Possibly. I'd have to check. Uh, like, she's like the secretary notice or something. Anyway. the similarities between Raising Arizona and uh, Oh Brother. She's got Holly Hunter. Right. She's uh, married to an ex-con. She's married to a guy on the lamb. Right. And basically, you know, she just wants a normal life in... in I got me someone in, now. He bonafide. Right. Well, he's, he, she wants the normal life. She wants the husband and the kids in Raising Arizona. She wants a respectable husband right. in that. It's kind of... Th- that, yeah, that is a good there's point. There's a lot yes. of similarities there, there, there. There is. And, um, uh, <laughs> you know... You know, Nicolas Cage is just trying to, you know, make his wife happy. And George Clooney's kind of like, you know, trying to make his wife happy. Kind of. Yeah. I, I forget. He's trying to go to the house or something before they flood it. They flood the valley to get something. I forget exactly right. what he's trying well, to get. You're right. What is he after? It was like a ring or something. It's something important though, because he, it's it, that's kind of symbolizes. Yeah. You know, kind of him, him his redemption of getting through this I mean you know it's it's his comeback he, from getting out of prison he is not religious he rejects the religion when yeah, the I mean it is again jailbreak as you re- but, right. another raising Arizona parallel um, you know he's rejecting the religion when the one guy goes down and gets baptized right and they're being chased by the the guy the guy with the bloodhounds the cop and he, and he's basically the devil the devil yeah. and at right. the end of the movie he basically gets Baptized. The are on his trail. He gets baptized yeah. involuntarily because they're there when they flood the valley. Oh, and it's like he gets wow. redeemed. I never thought about that. How have I never thought about that? He gets That's so obvious. You know, so you're, you're right. It's, it's, it's that whole valley flood is so like much, a big baptism. You're right. So much religious stuff. Wow. The, the whole thing with the soundtrack. The, all oh, yeah. those songs. Oh, about and, religion, well, and the, when the I talk about Lebowski thing. being something in, uh, you know, above the Cohen, the, the yes, the the re- Old Brother Where Out Those soundtrack created a huge, huge Americana yes. folk sold like five roots copies or something. For, um, um, comeback for for a while there. I mean, Robert Plant did did an album with um, oh, crap. I blanked on her name. She's on that soundtrack, but I mean, she was like nobody to the American. And suddenly, like a year later, she's doing a record with. Robert Plant from Led Zeppelin yeah. and stuff. Why can't I think of her? Isn't Steve Martin Allison on Krause. one of those Allison Krauss. She's an amazing musician. There's Who? some. Steve Martin. He plays banjo and yeah. the well, Soggy Bottom Boys Does band. He? Yeah. Huh? What? Yes, dude. That. He's got Grammys. Yeah, Steve, well, I know Steve Martin is, Steve a, Martin is, a, is, is a banjo a player. He's well-known a, he, banjo um, player, certainly. Right. There's actually a documentary I watched about banjos, and he was in it. Right. But yeah, um... 
there's a lot of swearing in that movie. It's PG-13, but son of a bitch is said so many times in that movie, which I think is funny. Well, because it's appropriate <laughs> for the time frame. Yeah. Um, and, and Charles Durning, he plays the uh, the guy running for... Is it Durning in Hutsucker Proxy? Yeah. So is that his two films with them? Uh, I think it is Hutsucker. I'd have to go Yeah, back. I'm, no, I'm saying Charles Durning is the guy in Hutsucker Proxy, and he's he's uh, yeah. he that's his comeback with the Saggy Bottom Boys. Yeah, Charles Durning's in that. In oh, Brother Watto. Great film. Right. So, Great film. But you're right, it does follow Homer very well. Well, no, it's... I mean, it's... It's a remake. What? It's a remake if of... If you want to call it it's that. A, it's a remake of a... 2,500-year-old play, yes. It's actually older than that. Probably. So then you got The Man Who Wasn't There, 2001, Billy Bob Thornton, Francis McDormand Black again. Black and White. James so Gandolfini. Good. Uh, John Polito's again When he's sitting it. there, Tony Gandolfini Shalom. is hiring him to find the guy who's having an affair with his wife. And he's looking at him right in the eye, and it's like, I'm the guy having an affair with your wife. It, it's just that, that the tension in that scene alone is worth the price of admission. I just, it's so brilliant. Billy Bob Thornton is so low key in that movie, like not in the Gabriel Byrne way. I mean, <laughs> Billy, yeah. Billy Bob Thornton is the man who wasn't there. He's he is so low key that mm-hmm. everything can happen around him and it can all be his fault and, and he gets none of the blame. It's a, it's, it's a very well, I, I was really impressed with that movie. Black and white, um, which, you know, that's the one you, you said you hadn't seen. I haven't seen it, no. I, I guess really there, was a, there was a little trend in that time period when black and white movies, like with uh, was it? Schindler's List. Right. <laughs> That's like 10 years before it. <laughs> I don't know. You know, when somebody does something and then 10 years later somebody else sure. does it, like he a, started down the road and well, couldn't turn saying, around. You know, I mean, if you're a not... geologist, that might be a trend. Well, think about this. <laughs> what was before Schindler's List that was black and white? Like 1980 Raging Bull. S- silent you movie, know. Mel Brooks. Black and white? Well, no, yeah. no, 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 no. That's not black and white. Okay, sorry. They I hadn't made a black and white movie since the first half of, Dora of of Wizard of Oz. You're right. They'd gone. Yes, there were other and, black and, and white and movies. I'm just saying. I mean, Jim Jarmusch's okay, Night uh, on right, Earth is wait, a black wait, and white wait, 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 movie. Clerks. Clerks, clerks is a black clerks and white movie. Black black there are lots of. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Jim Jarmusch made several <laughs> black and white movies in his early days. There are plenty of black and white movies from independent filmmakers. The thing is about. You know, a very complicated plot yet again, like Fargo and Miller's Crossing. Right. Things that tend to unravel, like, you know, Fargo, where he's got, I got this, you know, little plan here, but it just all falls apart. All falls apart. <laughs> that, that's kind of the running theme and, to a lot of, I mean, Big Lebowski. Is, and there's is, aliens is, in the I mean, movie. Big Lebowski is a kidnapping story that goes right. awry. Fargo is a kidnapping story that goes awry. Um, raising Arizona is a kidnapping. Is a kidnapping, literal yeah. kidnapping that it, that, that, that yeah. goes awry, um, and then and then Far, um, Blood Simple is a murder that goes awry. Fargo has a murder that goes awry for the show. You, you know, and instead um, I watched episode eight for like the eighteenth oh, time again. Man, we're running low on time. So yeah, um, then you got Intolerable Cruelly in two thousand three with George Clooney again. Billy Bob Thornton. I actually like that. Never movie. seen that movie. I know, uh, Roland, I think you have. And then you've got the dreadful Lady Killers 2004. <laughs> Can we skip that? I want to... That I, sucks. That movie's so bad. It's a remake of an old movie from uh, 1955, The Lady Killers. Do you know yes. who's in that movie? Well, Tom fucking Hanks. No, no, no. The Sadly. Original. Oh, the original. Alec Guinness, Peter Sellers. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, I would love to see the original, 
But yeah, Tom Hanks is sadly in that, that movie. <laughs> Poor Tom. We're, we're going to kind of go along. And then we yeah, got we, no we can, country for old Well, men. okay. Let me, let me ask you something. Yeah. You're, have any of us seen Lady Killers? Yeah. But okay. I had to fast forward like the last half. I couldn't. Well, that's just my question. It. Why is it bad? What's wrong with Lady Killers? Because it's supposedly basically another Cohen plot of like it's a robbery that goes wrong kind of thing. The, the characters are weird. Written. Oh, you have seen suck. it too? Yeah. Tom Hanks. Oh, I'm the one just, who hasn't seen it. It's just Tom a bad Hanks, movie. I don't know I've just heard lots of bad about it, but I've never heard I, a substantive I explanation of what's wrong. I don't really know wrong. what the movie is even really about. Right. Because previous to that is Hud, uh, like Hudson Brockie's. Up know. until then, Hudson Brock is the only film of theirs that I didn't really enjoy. And... I, the reason I don't think I enjoyed Hudsucker Brock is, is it just felt the movie fairly f- mainstream in spite of the fact that these guys were not mainstream The directed. movie felt like a studio obligation. So quick question, McGarvey. <laughs> you're like the, you're the boss. To, um, do we care about running over time? Never. No. Okay. Because, because we're, we're at an hour here. We are our own architects. We okay. will try and... Okay, Go this aggression will not stand. Because the next movie is No Country for Old Men, which we've already oh. kind of discussed. Well, we've kind of discussed That's some so aspects of it. But it's a brilliant film. Uh, Give me your James setup. Rowan. I've got one thing I really want to talk about about it. But well, I got you know, you know the scene where he gets into like the river, the dog's coming after him? Yeah. I love that scene. Because it's so like realistic. He gets the yeah. gun out. He's got to like dry it off. And then he shoots the dog at the last segment. I mean... It, that scene was really good. Oh yeah, there's a lot of good. But yeah. this this is my comment about No Country for Men. This this is something only the Coen Brothers could pull off in a film. J- James Brolin. Yeah, James Brolin. Right. His, no, 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 Josh Brolin. Josh Brolin. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Josh Brolin's character. The whole first, the majority of the film, is is all the things happening around him. That that he. He's a man in way the hell over his head. Yeah. Okay. Well, he yes really no. is. No, he doesn't realize what he's getting himself into. I, I thought he could he, kind of handle himself at the no, beginning. No, that's like the whole when, point. Well, when he shot the dog, the whole thing where he hid the no. case up in the vent and then he went into the other right. side and but took the it point, out. But, I felt at the beginning of the no. movie he was kind of handling himself. But No, then but that's the point is that it's a guy done. who thinks he can handle himself well, and that's okay. why okay, he's okay. in so far over his head. But my point is is you know it's not going to go well for him. Yeah. At, at no point does the movie set up the audience to think, yeah, yeah, this guy's going to get away with it and then oh big shocker he doesn't. No, you know from very early on fucking Brolin's uh, going to die. I disagree. No, and, but this I don't is think what, so. I, I but this is important to what I'm my point is that the whole movie, in a lot of ways, is building up to him getting his ass killed. And then when it happens... It's all off screen. It's completely off screen. It's like a throwaway thing. Right. It's just like Tommy Lee Jones is on his way there. Oh, truckload of guys with guns comes flying out, and he starts chasing. And you're like, oh, oops, he's dead. You you don't even see it, (laughs) but you know it happened. And it's completely off screen. And I'm saying the fact that the main focus character of the film is killed off screen is is something very i don't think a lot of filmmakers could pull off in any way yeah. and i'm i'm it's based on a book that yes, i've never by, read uh, and i'm McCarthy. curious how that's pulled off in the book yeah um, i'm curious but yeah woody harrelson I would say, is an incidental but really good character in that film what i was going to say is is you know uh, javier bardem's character where he flips the coin and he talks about like chance, essentially that you right. know it's just chance that you're gonna die. Oh, oh, and, and then when he gets to the woman at the end, and, and she just won't play, she won't play it. Fuck it. 
And and then what happens after that when he leaves, he's just driving along and he gets into a car accident. He kind of falls prey to chance. So it, in, in a weird sort of way, it actually kind of reaffirms him in a weird way. She goes to tell him, no, it's you that make the decision on whether or not you're going to kill me. But then when he just gets, you know, hit by another car and he gets out and he runs off, it's like it was just a chance that he got hit. And it almost, in a weird sort of way, reaffirms to himself that it is just chance whether or not I kill somebody. So that's just kind of my take there on that. Really good movie. You know, it's, it, it, is, it is definitely not a movie for a casual moviegoer to, to see. It's no. not easy to watch. It's not. It, it's, it's something you really have to pay attention to. And, uh, you know, just a casual person is, is not necessarily going to enjoy it. Right. So after that, we got Burn After Reading, 2008. Mm. What don't you like about that movie? It's hilarious. I don't like it. It just didn't feel man. right. I just but, you know, It's a bunch of incompetent people being incompetent. <laughs> it's hysterical. Right, that's the problem, I It think. just didn't work for me. I mean, I, I think, um, what's his name? J.K. Simmons is funny in that movie. Brad Pitt's character Brad is so Pitt. super annoying. Brad That's Pitt, the yeah, point. I know, but it's like it's I, I didn't overload. like it. Oh, it's so funny. It's but yeah, like you got Francis I mean, Norman again, John, right? Uh, George Clooney. Oh, again. And, and here's a good point. John she at this point is how long she has been married to Joel. She's she she's never she's always been a consummate actress. She's never been a movie star. Right. She's never had any interest in being a movie star. But it's still quite amazing for her to be sitting there with the plastic surgeon. And just on screen, close-up shots of her, just ruthlessly cutting down her look, saying, oh, you need to have this nipped and this tucked and this changed. And, and just ruthlessly talking about how this woman could be physically improved. And you're like, your husband wrote this shit for this doctor to say it. And it's just kind of, it's really amazing on her part that she plays that I, no problem, plays it totally straight. Just, and at the end of the movie, she gets all of it done. She's like, fuck right. it, I got the money. I can do it now. And it's 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 really a testament the, to her her strength of character the as movie a person. had a lot of potential. Because in Hollywood, there isn't a Hollywood, quote unquote, Hollywood starlet that would have fucking done that scene. <laughs> There's not a one. Only, it, it's, it's amazing. The, the, the movie's just kind of average to me. It just, it, it, I mean, it's not horrible. I mean, Malkovich is... You know, wants to think he's some super brilliant spy guess, and he's just a nobody, he's you know, an idiot. You know what part of it would be? Just, There's so many big names in that movie. There's Brad Pitt, George Clooney, John Malkovich, Tilda Swinton. Right, all-star cast. All big Shitty names. movie. And not that great of a movie to it's, go with it. I don't and I think that, that maybe that maybe their stardom overshadowed the movie a little bit. Well, true. If it I had mean, been different yes. actors, maybe it would have worked better. Uh, sure. I don't know. I don't know. I love Brad Pitt in the movie. I don't get why you don't like. It. I mean, I just something about it. It's right there didn't. up with Twelve Monkeys and Snatch. It's that kind of a performance. Yeah, no. How do you not yeah, see it that no. way? Yeah. No. No. I'm almost a little insulted that you would say that. Actually, <laughs> you you like them in Snatch, yes? No, I just think that you know, like for you to say that is like a personal affront to my intelligence. Would you say that Brad Pitt by places? comparing that to Twelve Monkeys? Well, right, say... because his character is so incredibly shitty. Would you say that 12 Monkeys, Snatch, and um, Fight Club, he just plays the same character? No. <laughs> no? N- no, he doesn't. N- n- no. Oh, come on. No, he I doesn't. Don't. He doesn't. It's not. It's there. It's very subtle. Yeah. You know? I mean, I think there's a little Brad Pitt in everything he plays, but... 
Yeah. You know, there's guys that just, like, straight up play themselves. Right. Like Tom Cruise. Yeah. I mean, when Tom you watch Cruise, a movie, yeah. you're, you're watching Tom Cruise play Tom Cruise. Right. He's not <laughs> acting. He's just being Tom Cruise. <clears throat> so, I don't know. I know you like it, Roland, but, you know, whatever. Okay. So, also, it's a mindless fucking comedy. So, just sit down yeah, and watch it as a mindless fucking comedy. Stop go. thinking of it as a Coen Brothers movie. Maybe that's the problem you guys are having. Maybe. Is that you're, you have a block. Expectation. It, expectation because it's the Coen well, Brothers. Yeah, okay. I mean, so got, intolerable. It's a Coen Brothers movie with right. big stars. So, it's, I guess so you have this expectation. High expectation. Sure. Because here's the thing the Intolerable Cruelty. That's the other one that I truly enjoy that film. It was. I've never seen it, but okay, I Okay. Here's the thing about that movie it's produced by Brian Grazer, Imagine Entertainment with Ron Howard, that guy. Yeah. He hired them uh, as executive producer. He hired the Coens to write the film because he wanted their style of writing for the, but he wanted to, to be a big Hollywood kind of film. And then I can't even remember what it was, but the, who, but the director fell through and they ended up doing the film. Joel did it. Yeah. And well, that's what I'm saying is the, um, so it, it's a very Hollywood mainstream kind of film. The two characters in the film that make you realize, oh, this is a Joel and Ethan Cohen written movie, are um, Wheezy Joe the Hitman, that his two scenes are blisteringly funny. Wheezy it's, Joe. Have you not seen that scene? Yes. Okay. You at least know what I'm talking about when I mention Wheezy Joe. Yeah. You don't. It's been a little bit, I guess. Well, then I don't want to spoil it because he hits two scenes and it's it, the payoff is hilarious. Um, and the other is... Um, I can't, I can't even. The name is ridiculous. But the 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 very gay witness uh, for you know, on the stand with his dog, the the Baron something or other. Blah, it, his character is so ridiculously over the top. It's it's brilliantly done. But I mean, the basic premise to the film is Catherine Zeta Jones plays a serial divorcee. Um, her um, there's a couple of other characters she interplays with. To, they're a group of women who what they do is actively seek out and marry rich men without getting, letting them get a prenuptial agreement and then string them along for a while, divorce them and take them for half their money. And that's just what they do. It's these women who are just bluntly blatant gold diggers. That's what they are. I wish someone would do that to me. And George, <laughs> right. And George Clooney's character take my money, is baby. a divorce lawyer who works for men in divorce cases and get convinces rich men get fucking prenuptial agreements before you get into, you know, get married. Um, and so clearly the two characters are at odds and it's this very Hollywood romantic comedy of, of Catherine Zeta Jones's character slowly romancing, uh, you know George Clooney's character and getting him eventually to marry her without a prenuptial agreement, and it's slow. hilarious. It's a very funny film. <laughs> Gosh, um, but um, so bad. I would watch it. I so, have not seen it. So I mean, if again, I think if you don't think of it as a Coen Brothers movie, you just think it as a mainstream comedy film. Right. George Clooney is very slapsticky, over the top, hilarious in it. Catherine Zeta Jones is so sly, and there is there really is um, a twist to the film. There's a scene fairly early on that the first time I saw it, it happens, and then I completely forgot about it. It wasn't until the second time I saw the movie that I saw the scene again and went, "Holy shit! They tell you right here." This is the twist ending right here. How the fuck did I not notice it the first time I watched the movie? Spoiler I mean, I'm wa well, no, I'm saying the whole show is a spoiler. But I'm saying, I'm saying, alert. I remember as I'm watching the scene the second time. 
I'm remembering having seen the scene the first time, but not realizing its implications to the ending of the film. So there's there's very much a twist to the film. Right. So, I never saw the follow up to this movie. Did you? There's a follow up. Well, no, the next movie. Oh, oh sorry, sorry. Man. I never. I've saw never, never seen man. a serious man. Oh, I've not seen. I've heard good, good things about that. I like though. that movie. That one I've heard good things about, but it's another one of those movies where you got this guy and his whole life is just kind of unraveling around him. Everything's kind of falling apart, and uh, you know he's trying to be a respectable guy, but just all this stuff is happening. His wife stuff. wants a divorce. And so uh, she wants like her boyfriend to move into the house and him to move out into a hotel and <laughs> it's just all kinds not a of lot of, uh, Co- kind of things. Coen Brothers regulars in this no, one. Uh, right. Yeah, you got Michael Stahlbarg and Richard Kind who? and Sari Lennick. You know, it's so incidental in, guys. Yeah, oh. set in 1967, which you know uh, they always like to you know have period movies. Right. Know? Yeah. The, well, that's one of the things we've really not talked about at all in the, in, in over an hour and talking about the Cole Brothers is that's really all of their films are set, set. in vid- very distinct places and very distinct times. Right. The Big Lebowski is very specifically set in Los Angeles in the early 90s. Um, you know, Blood Simple is in Texas. Right. Okay. Uh, well, we actually we talked about how in Miller's Crossing. It isn't specific about the time or it is a pastiche to the idea of prohibition films, the idea of of gangsters in Chicago and and New York. Um, And it is it is an homage to things like the untouchables and all that. But it doesn't have a specific time and place. Well, therefore, it does have a specific era. Yes, it has an era. Um, Martin Fink is set in the 40s, the early 40s. Right. Very specifically. Again, Um, I mean, all of their films. I mean, what I'm saying is. It's not arbitrary where the film is. No. Where the film is set exactly. and when the is, film is, is fit is, is informs important. what the movie is. I right. mean, Fargo, ironically, the opening scene is in Fargo, North Dakota. But the rest of the film takes place in you know, Minnesota. The entire yeah. film occurs in Minnesota. You know, um, <clears throat> what, in Brainerd, and yeah. then also in the Twin Cities. If we could take care of <laughs> but this I believe, right here. But I believe the title. Brainerd. Brainerd. <laughs> but I'm saying Fargo is yeah. the title of the film as with a double meaning there that how far will these characters go? How far will this situation go? I think it's very deliberate that they, they use. Are you telling me that's, that's not title. a real place? So <clears throat> no, there's a real Fargo, North Dakota, uh, after but I'm saying man, the film's set in Minnesota, but they had to go to Nar- Fargo for one scene in order to use that as the title. Right. So after serious man is true grit again, I don't know the year it's set. That in. That is the, a remake. Like the 1800s. It's um, you know, True Grit. Glenn Campbell and the Duke. The Duke. <laughs> right? Yes. Yes. But um it's based on a book by Charles Portis. Right. So the first the original movie, True Grit, seen that with, with John Wayne. Completely it's different, different movies. Movie, oh yes. But it's a good movie. Yeah, it's it's a good and and, and their sixties western is, is you know. uh, very good. Um, right. Which again, uh, it's another pastiche. Haley, it's another homage to a genre of films. Haley Steinfeld. It is their, it is their western. Plays the girl. She got nominated, you know, for a best supporting actress. Right. And uh, Jeff much Bridges deserved it. Jeff Bridges again. Uh, of course. Josh Brolin. You got uh, right. Matt Damon, Barry Pepper, and uh, yeah, that's. Th- I liked True Grit. I don't know. Have you seen it? Good movie. That's, again, not seen it. This is, I saw but, both of the. But this is the point: is but... is we're talking about in the last ten years, I've not seen. A lot of things. I, <laughs> my, my 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 lifestyle has just changed a lot. I mean, I'm I'm, you know, 
Well, part of that is on a it's because I was diet. You know, well, no, I also went, did a lot of hiking and got some fresh air, something you oh, could look yes, into. Hiking. So you could go fart and no one could fucking smell it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's about the fact like uh, her, her dad is killed and she wants justice for that. So she finds uh, Jeff Bridges, who plays, you know, Rooster Cogburn or whatever. I think that's his name. Yes. And, uh, yes. He's got the eye patch. He's like a tough marshal. She hires him to basically go out and find the killers and bring them to justice. And it's a good movie. Really good movie. And it's I, a very, I like it's the, very smart. I like the ending. Well, not the ending. I like near the end of the movie. I don't know. There's the scene that I always really very memorable and impactful for me is when he's taking her to get medical help and like the horse collapses and uh, he shoots the horse, but it's done off camera. I don't know. It's just very, it, I don't know. It's just very memorable. I don't know why I always remember that scene in that, that near the end of the movie because you know they shot horses in those days when they got lame or whatever. Sure. So, I mean he ran that horse into the ground to to save her life because he was trying to get back, and uh, the horse falls down. He shoots the horse off camera, and then he carries her the rest of the way. And I don't know. It's just kind of a interesting scene. Yeah. I've always thought. Yeah. You know it's funny we've talked about actors who've been in multiple Cohen films. Yeah. But. Behind they the scenes, always use the same actors. Dude. Behind the scenes, there's a lot of people who who oh, worked sure. in multiple. Like Carter Burwell has done this, the music for several of their films. Um, the their their longtime storyboard artist, you know, from from their earliest days on. Yeah, I forget his actual name, but he, uh, J. Todd Anderson. Yes, J. Todd Anderson is their storyboard artist. He plays the dead body laying face down in the snow in Fargo. He's on the movie poster. <laughs> That's his cameo. Um, the um, um, other people, like, um, I'm trying to think of his name. Um, um. The, well, no. They're, is he Icelandic? They're, they're um, cinematographer for, he came on early in their career. He's not on their first few films, but their longtime cinematographer, uh, Barry Sonnenfeld. Oh, has yeah. gone on to be a right. great director as well. Right. Did not Sonnenfeld direct Men in Black, for example? Yeah, and he did and um, stuff like that. Uh, get Shorty. And get Shorty. Barry Sonnenfeld came to prominence as as the Coen's cinematographer, and he's done a lot of brilliant work with him. Um, um, some I'm trying to think <laughs> of other people, but I'm saying it's I, not just I, cast be, members. But I know the, the, they it's, work it's, with the same people, and that's probably why they have such high quality movies. Because yeah, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. What I'm going right. to say is, for any director, producer, writer that has come out since the 80s when they started, or even going back farther into the 70s, I think. Oh, you know, we didn't even really mention where they started because prior to their to Blood Simple, yeah, they worked with Sam Raimi. Uh-huh. Um, Joel, uh, I believe it's Joel was was editor on the original Evil Dead. Crime uh-huh. Wave. And then there's Crime Wave. Yes, that's the other yeah. one. Yeah, so they, they actually had close ties to Sam Raimi early early part of their career. Even though they anyway. have some bad movies, I sure. think consistently the quality of all of their movies well, like I said, is I'm, higher than basically dude, anybody Stanley else. Kubrick is is of you know godlike statue in in the movie business, but he still ended his life with eyes wide shut. Yeah, I so just, I just, there's a lot of good things about in, eyes wide shut. In my shut, personal opinion, but, I think they're the best. <laughs> going on and you know what's you know what's funny is you know you're talking about you haven't really seen many movies in the last 10 years i can't think of a director that's done anything in the last a new director in the last like did you see the 2013 movie 
no, I've not I seen did not. This is actually okay. the first time I am hearing of it. So yeah, um, that was. Um, no, I mentioned it last week, and you said it was crap. Oscar Isaac plays the main uh, character, but John Goodman's in that okay, movie. Okay, let me let me understand the point you were just trying to make. No, the point I was You're making, saying in the in in recent history in the 21st century, na- name a, you can't name think a of a, a that, new director who has come along that has, that has along. made a name of him for himself. Right. Like take for take for example, all these Marvel movies, Thor and right. And Iron Man. Well, that would be one of them, right? Who, I couldn't tell you who okay, directed the, any of those the, movies. Okay, then shame on you. I know. Wait, I know. No. Brandon directed the Thor movies. Right, but who directed the first Iron Man? Don't know. God damn it! What's his name? Favreau. Right, John Favreau, I think, would be a great example of what you're not. You you should know John Favreau's name. He did. Um, I do know his name. Yes, Favreau did. Um, but now that you say that he directed, I'm like, oh. What's okay. the movie? He probably knows what? him from that movie Swingers. Where Swingers. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to think he of. Acted in not it. Swingers. The other one though. It's Swingers and the something what? fast what? in a car. Damn it! Can't think of it. But, um, anyway, something fast. <laughs> Shut in a up! Car. I do think, Damn it! You know, we talked about David Fincher last. <laughs> That's week. me blanking. David Fincher got his start, you know, in the '80s. Right. I I think the Coen Brothers outdo him in quality. Sure. Okay. Um, I think um, even dare I say Spielberg, who started in the '70s. Hush I'm your say, mouth, sir. I'm going to say oh, the Coens surpassed Spielberg. I think Spielberg has sunken very low in, you know, in I, well, when no, when, when when Mr. Spielberg to you was far more likely to take direction or at least have the appearance of cooperation okay. with the studio as opposed to being an quote-unquote indie oh, filmmaker. He still made the movies he wanted to make. That, oh, that's true. That. Sure. Sure, but you know what I'm saying is, is he he made Jurassic like Park said, so he could make Schindler's List in the '90s right. you know, when it was example. like oh the new Fair Spielberg trade. movies coming out I was interested in seeing it right nowadays there's, there's they say just there's a well, it's coming out right now it's what are you gonna Ready do Player uh, Ready Player One and it's like a huge blockbuster big deal in the month of April and I couldn't possibly give a fuck right I'm curious to see it Weston wanted to see it <laughs> yeah and what are you gonna do when he directs see. a Star Wars movie. <laughs> you he know did. It was coming. Co- it was well, called Revenge of the Sith. Okay, okay, no, here we go. Just the chase scene. Here, just the chase here, scene that is straight out of Temple of Doom. Uh, yes. Yes. It's yes. The, mine, the mine car chase. Director yes. that has come out in the last in the two thousands. We were talking about car chases in Star Wars films. That's the J. one J. in that one. Right. J.J. Abrams. Okay. Oh, there's there's yeah, one. Yeah, the there you go. J.J. Like Abrams. More recent one. Right. Josh Weinstein. Um. Josh Weinstein. Who's that? He did the. Uh, Avengers movies. Okay. Um, oh, okay. But but the other name. I am not stuff. a fan of the Avengers. Br- what about Brian Singer coming from the Brian '90s into now? He did an X Men movies. Sure, okay. He did Usual so, Suspects. And what I'm saying is, but here's a very recent one. Jordan Peele. Well, yeah. Have you seen Get Out? No, I've not. You seen You need it, to I, see that uh, film. Uh, it's um. I want to see it. It's how well it is list. directed <laughs> is. It's clearly directed by someone who's never directed before, but has been a longtime huge film fan. Right. Um, it, it, it's, it, it's, it's funny. When that movie came out, I was like, well, this is just kind of another throwaway And it was so movie not. It really wasn't. Because, you know, they tend to dump bad movies at the beginning of the year. Sure. And it was like, eh, well, it could just be another one of those throwaway kind no, of it, it, movies. No, it, it, it legitimately. And then I heard a lot of good things about that oh, movie. It, it legitimately surprised really me. See it. I did, did either of you guys? Did either of you guys see Hell Caesar? Yes. No. But um, that was well, supposed to be my homework, on Inside Llewellyn Davis. Yeah. You know, yeah. Let's not. You know who else in that movie is uh, Carrie Mulligan? Isn't that um, the uh, Bob Dylan life story? Oh wait, yeah. is, so so you're saying that movie they can take a Mulligan and it won't yeah. screw up their career? You know who Carrie Mulligan is <laughs> from Blink from Doctor Who. 
Oh, Carrie Mulligan. She's a really right, good right, right, right. Well, that was shortly after reason... doing the Doctor Who story you're talking about, she did some movie where she got yeah, an Oscar nomination. Called, uh, I'm not sure which one that is, dum, but dum, she did dum, a movie dum. called An Education with Peter Skarsgård. That yeah. might be the movie you're talking about. Skarsgård. They should bottle that shit. Skarsgård. I'm sorry. There's another, the, another guy <laughs> He's called not protecting your, your healing wound. He's protecting you, you from getting that, that Chinese flu thing. Right. Yes. Back... He was on SNL one time, and he did do a skit where he was selling uh, the Peter Sarsgaard Sarsgaard. (laughs) (laughs) But anyways. We're going to get a full hour and a half out of this. Hail Caesar, their most recent movie, 2000. Again, Clooney being hilarious, I'm sure. Clooney, Josh Brolin. Uh, Elden Ark, right? Scarlett Johansson's in that. Scarlett Johansson's in that, but Scarlett Johansson is in uh, The Man Who Wasn't There. Oh, that's right! The new Han Solo was in that movie. Oh, I oh, forgot really? about that. The Alden Ehrenreich character. Yeah, you uh, were trying to remember that. Frances McDormand, again. Uh, Tilda Swinton, she does two of their movies that I know of. She was in... Uh, yeah, you mentioned it she earlier. She was in uh, Burn it. After Reading. Burn After Reading. Right. Um, you got Channing Tatum and Jonah Hill. Channing in Tatum. Movies. <laughs> Tatum. Tatum. Tatum, not Jonah Taint. Hill. That movie is... Taint. That movie Taint-um. is just a kind of a... It's where I rub my balls in your face. I taint them. <laughs> Or a tribute to say old Hollywood. I mean, there's it's a fun little movie. It doesn't really have anything serious. Is it them apologizing for 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 insulting Hollywood with Barton Fink? It was a studio obligation. (laughs) And and there's a lot of little things in that movie that are just kind of nods and tributes or homages to like old Hollywood. And it's a fun little movie. It's you know, it's it's not meant to be anything fantastic. And they wrote they're working on something else. Shut up right now, right? Will we ever shut up? It's a so, movie you know, called. Like, again, you know, we're hearing about. Is that another... their most recent film, Hell yeah. Scissor? There's not one since that? Okay. No. All right. So, you know. Because I guess that was therefore a bit of a when comeback. When you hear that there's a Coen Brothers movie coming yeah. out, I'm interested. I used you to know? be. Well, there's a movie called used... Dark Web I... that's coming out probably Ooh. next year that they wrote, but. Okay. Um, I don't know who's directing it. And then they wrote a movie last year for George Clooney to direct. That just you you did Suburbico by, by saying dark web. You made me think of um, zero. What's the the Terry Gilliam film that's got the German guy from from? In, in I'll cut off the, your Johnson. The, 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 no, the bast the the Quentin Tarantino movie Hitler. In some glorious other bastards. Glorious bastards. bastards, that guy who's gone on to do multiple other films, including other Tarantino films, but he's done Hateful other stuff. He did a Terry Gilliam movie that I have yet to see, and I don't know why, because it's supposed to be kind of the modern, modernized version of what Brazil was in the '80s, which is my favorite Gilliam film and one of my all-time favorite films, probably, oh, God. probably one of the two most behind. overrated movies of all time. Have you seen what movie? Sorry. the full Brazil? Brazil. Oh. Have you seen? Me and Pat are gonna fist fight right now. <laughs> Okay. He's like, what? what? Right, listen, well, I think we are successfully have... setting up another episode here with a, we got to talk Terry Gilliam. Well, at least we didn't do that. According to the IMDb, they do have a thing called The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, a TV miniseries in production. Lame. So, okay. I don't know. Did, but yeah. I how much did they have to do with the Fargo miniseries other than, you know, I creation really of, know. The, of the title? Signing away but, their life. You know. Okay. Like I, I already mentioned, like, Turturro's coming back with a movie. Um, playing the Jesus that uh, he got permission for them to Eight use. Year olds They're do. not involved. Eight-year-olds. <laughs> no, really. Um, so, so yeah, I think we've covered all the Coens. Um, 
Um, I we highly recommend that you watch at least most of these movies. Yeah. Right. There's only yeah, a handful of these movies. And just because and, and, we and think honestly, some of them suck the doesn't mean they really do. That's you know? true. Right. Because we enjoy them. Every, every one of the ones that somebody said was bad, I think we got a little bit. I mean, even their bad films ha- are better than a lot of films. Right. Right. Definitely. Yeah. It's high um, quality. Which is like you guys stuff. are saying, that maybe burn after reading, you're just setting too high standards because high expectations. No, it's because just so saturated okay, with fine. shitty characters. <laughs> okay, fine. It's like, fuck, give me a break. <laughs> okay. Didn't anyway, like it. All right, fine. My point is, is okay, like in setting up further episodes at this point, we're basically we winding this do down. Right. Well, yeah, no, we I'm saying we've we got at some point goodbye. to do Gilliam. we got to do Gilliam. Well, yeah, dude. But I'm thinking next week, we instead of, like I said, we can dance away from specific directors. I think next week we really ought to do the sequels that shouldn't have happened. Are you paying us in a corner? Can we do that? Are you referring to signal, uh, sequels that shouldn't happen or, or sequels sequ- that ruined. may have tainted the legacy of the original <laughs> right. film? That, that's what I'm saying. Like Jaws 2 and 3? No, no, no. Jaws 3 ruined it. No, man. Jaws 2, but, come but on. Jaws of Revenge redeemed it. <laughs> Fuck. Because well, like, it's so Jaws, campy. Shark, hold on. Sharknado 5 Let's wait really on that. pushed the limit that's on that. That's the other episode. Let's series. not do it now. Let's do it then. Okay. Shall we go? Yes, we, we should go. Goodbye, so, everybody. Here it is. Open it and stick your head out and yell, Take your sticking paws off me, you bitch. Well, no shit. What have we got here? A fucking comedian. What's your name, fat body? My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. No, I am your father. Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. What kind of a stupid name is that, Fogel? What, are you trying to be an Irish R&B singer? And I will I do wish we could chat longer, but I've had him an old friend.